0: You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, and I am joined, as always, by Gene Henley here for another episode of the podcast. I appreciate all of you tuning in this week. If you're new to the show, welcome in. Uh, share this show with any other Vol fans, any other college basketball fans you may know, uh, SEC basketball, whatever it is. If, if you're a fan of college basketball or specifically Tennessee, uh, share this with your friends, family, or whomever. Thank you all for listening. As we said at the top of the show here, we get found everywhere podcasts are available. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and a bevy of other places as well. We're on Twitter and Facebook, at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter, and Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. Gene, we promised last week that we'd let you get on a soapbox if you need to for today's episode, we'll get to that in a little bit, uh, to discuss a little bit of, of Tennessee's recruiting strategy in men's hoops, and I know you have some thoughts on that. Uh, we'll definitely chime in as well, and... and Probably debate a little bit. I think I think that'll be a, a very interesting topic. So if you guys want to fast-forward to that, if you're not interested in, in the news bits here, that that's totally fine. That'll be the kind of the main episode topic here. But a, a couple of things first I wanted to mention that are, are definitely worth mentioning for Tennessee Hoops, and that is Tennessee and Texas are slated to play in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. And Gene, I, I, I got to admit, I didn't think this would happen. I thought with Rick Barnes being at Tennessee, I think he'd been asked about this before. If I remember correctly, in a post-game press conference once before, uh, when I was covering the team, I feel like someone asked him then, and he he mentioned that something along the lines of not wanting to play Texas, not wanting to kind of put them in an awkward spot. But that was when they still had, you know, Shaka Smart, the guy who they hired after Rick Barnes, was uh, more or less let go at Texas. Now, Shaka is no longer at Texas, no longer with the Longhorns. Now they have, you know, obviously Chris Beard made made that hire this offseason. season. I wonder if that kind of cha- that kind of changes, you know, his mind or if it kind of played into it or not. But whatever it is, Tennessee is going to be playing Texas in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. And I think that is – that's something I would wanted, you know, obviously for years as Tennessee has been participating in this challenge and since they hired Rick Barnes. I thought that is something that I've, I've wanted to see. And it's something we haven't seen, uh, I mean, since Rick Barnes was at Texas in the mid-2000s when Bruce Pearl was, was Tennessee's head coach. They faced off, obviously, I think, like – I want to say four straight years, or four, or like you know, like four times in a, in a short span of time, in the the mid aughts, as you I guess you could say. But they haven't faced off since then. It's been well over a decade since Tennessee and Texas have played in men's hoops. I love this. I, I think this is fantastic. You also have you know, assuming Kentucky is better next season, you have another marquee matchup of Kentucky and Kansas. I think that that to me is pairing off the two most prominent. Two best, you know, well, I guess most well known teams in those two conferences. And I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Kentucky is like next year. But having Kentucky play Kansas, having Tennessee play Texas in the Big 12 SEC Challenge next year on, I think, January 29th is the date. I think that's as about as big of a home run as you can hit for this challenge. And I, I, I am actually really excited to watch probably both those games. Honestly, I probably will end up watching both those games, but specifically for Tennessee, them playing Texas with Chris Beard with all the history with Rick Barnes in Texas. I think this is going to be fantastic. It's probably one of the more anticipated non-conference matchups I've had for Tennessee in the last, you know, I guess decade or so, maybe.
1: Yeah, and and I think this particular year, this particular matchup itself will be interesting because, um, you know, the teams are new in in so many different ways, Mm -hmm. and, you know, if you just look at, you know, with, the, the you know the influx of talent that's come in with the Tennessee roster with uh, oh God you people know the names Kennedy Chandler Brendan Huntley Hatfield um, Jonas Adieu, uh and uh, Justin Powell I mean like with the, just those four kids the you know Mayshack kid and then the new kid they brought in so six new, six new faces there. And then you look at what Texas did in the transfer portal, bringing in three of, I think, three really, really good pieces. Yeah, I was going to say, I, um, think, I think they're
0: regarded as three of, like, the top 15 or so transfers that were in the market this year.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, like, you're bringing in guys who, you know, have shown, like, Trey Mitchell at UMass was really good. Um, you know, D. Sue at Vandy, I think that's how you pronounce his name, he was good. I think he yeah, was, like, 15-9. and nine. Um, And Askew had some decent moments at Kentucky. Uh, and so you bring those three guys in and you're talking about three guys who have a chance to really walk right into a starting lineup. I mean, I guess you kind of expect that now. I mean, I guess if you're Texas, you kind of have to expect it because if you've had three guys who show glimpses of being good at the schools that they were at now, I mean, maybe the transition is a little bit harder for Mitchell than it is for the other guys, but uh, I mean, if you've got those three guys that come in and they can kind of you know, bring that, you know, the sort of glimpses that they show, they can kind of be that person a lot more often now consistently. Then you've got three guys. I mean, S. S. Q. has some moments. I'm pretty sure he had reclassified. So I think the kid's only like 18 as it is. Uh, I I can't remember that, but I'm pretty sure he reclassified. That doesn't always work with these kids. Uh, I think people just, you know, the people just expect it to work because Kentucky point guards is kind of a thing, uh, especially going to the next level. Um, but if you look at these other these other two guys I mean Vandy you know the guys were just leaving the program and uh UMass heck that you know UMass's head coach is, was you know was at, was at UTC like 4 or 5 years ago and he's still going into year 5 or 6 I believe now trying to build a winner. And that's a tough place to build winners, but you got a talented player in that Mitchell kid who can uh, who, who can, can you step right in and be effective. So Yeah, a lot of talent there, so I think it's going to be a good matchup. I think a lot of people are going to be excited to see it because, obviously, the storyline kind of writes itself. I mean, you certainly hope that both teams are holding up their ends of the bargain at that point in the year. Um, You know, so many times, you know, you get excited about these matchups, and then you're looking at a team who's 14 and nine, and another team that's like 12 and 11, but you know, it doesn't sound as good at least maybe that's just me. Like I'm not, I personally would not be nearly as excited about a Tennessee Texas matchup, matchup if they're both fledgling around the 500 mark in late January. Um, when you've had a month of conference play, you've had your entire con- non-conference schedule played. Um, that's not nearly as exciting to me. So if they're both winning and they're both like maybe fluttering around the top 25, uh, then now all of a sudden you've got something that people are excited to see. And I think that would be good, especially with the, uh, the storyline of uh, Rick Barnes, um, you know, playing against the, the program that he coached for however many years.
0: Yeah, looking at what Texas had brought in in this twenty twenty-two or twenty twenty-one cycle, excuse me, um, a, 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 a freshman they got was Jalen Ty- Tyson, who's a borderline five-star um, small forward in the yeah. class. But as you mentioned, Christian Bishop, who transferred from Creighton, who was an eleven and six guy um, this past year for Creighton. Dylan Desue, who Tennessee fans obviously know from his time at Vandy and, and how good of a rebounder and stuff he was. Devin Askew, who, again, Tennessee no- fans know who that is because he played at Kentucky. And then you also have Timmy Allen, who transferred from Utah, who is a 17-7 and 7 guy basically the last two seasons. I mean, 17.3 points uh and nineteen twenty, and seven rebounds, 17.2 points his pasture and, and six and a half rebounds and almost four assists. So he's a guy, again, that, I mean, they they – like you said, they really racked up on the transfer market, uh, Texas did. Four guys and four guys who all could be, you know, starters or, or at least, you know, pretty significant contributors for them this past year or this upcoming season. And you got to think, I mean, with Chris Beard as a head coach, too, they <laughs> I think it's a pretty big upgrade over Shaka Smart. Um, we'll have to see, you know, Texas has had the history of both football and basketball. Of just because you hire a, a great name doesn't mean they're going to work out, and that's been the case in both football and basketball for them, so we'll see. But, I mean, I think Chris Beard is just a, a good coach, not just a good name, but a good coach. So I think, um, yeah, it's get, that's going to be a really good team. To, I think they've leaped up to, like, inside the top 20, top 15 of some, like, early preseason rankings. And again, it's preseason rankings, so take with a grain of salt, but uh, Texas is definitely a very high thought of. And that just adds to Tennessee's non-conference schedule that is already loaded, full of high-quality programs, high-quality times at this point. But looking at Tennessee's uh, non-conference schedule, I'm trying to pull up their, their schedule right now if I can, but I know they, they have a multitude of, uh, of, of some just high-quality uh, programs are going to play next season. And let's see here. No, that, that's still from last year. So I'm trying to find, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can find some of the non-conference teams they have here, but I know Tennessee has a pretty strong um, non-conference schedule. Here we go. I think this is it w- with the announcement of the um, season tickets being on sale as well. Tennessee, I think, put out a graphic or put out a, yeah, here we go. So they're starting off with UT, I guess right now, starting off with UT Martin, ETSU, they play Villanova in the Hall of Fame tip-off tournament uh, November 20th. Tennessee Tech, Presbyterian, at Colorado, and the Jimmy V Classic. They're playing Texas Tech. Then they are playing Memphis in Nashville. They're playing Arizona and Knoxville in December. And then in January 29th, again, for the Big 12 SEC Challenge, they're playing Texas. So some pretty big names in, in college basketball. Texas, Arizona, Memphis, uh, Texas Tech. Obviously, last few years has been really good. Villanova. I mean, that is an extremely good non-conference schedule. And then of course, you have the smaller schools like Tennessee Tech, ETSU, UT Martin. And I think um, John Rothstein tweeted out on Thursday as well that Tennessee added USC Upstate, which is a team Tennessee played this past year as well. That's obviously not a marquee matchup, but just another, you know, uh, team that Tennessee will play. And, and that same thing, that, that Hall of Fame tip-off tournament, Tennessee is playing Villanova. They'll play either North Carolina or Purdue in that tournament as well, depending on, you know, those two teams play each other first. And then, Tennessee will play the winner or loser of those games, depending on what Tennessee does against Villanova. So, not only is it Villanova, but either UNC or Purdue in the Hall of Fame Tip-Off Tournament as well. So, that's just a, a very strong non-conference schedule for Tennessee. And Gene, um, I, I think that's probably a conversation I would like to have in a, a, a future podcast. But looking at Tennessee's non-conference schedule, I mean, they're they're, they're setting themselves up for success in the, uh, the RPI, BPI, whatever you want to call it. The I guess the net rankings, but that'd be something I think. To talk about in a different podcast, but I think that's... Tennessee's going to have, assuming those teams are, you know, obviously they're not going to be... Some of those teams aren't going to be as good as they are historically. I don't think North Carolina will, for example. I don't think uh, Arizona will, for example, but Texas, I think, is going to be great. Uh, Memphis, I think, is going to be pretty good. I I would be curious to see what Texas Tech is like this year. Colorado, you know, do they take a step forward from last year or not? Um, The Villanova, I think they're going to be solid as well. So, I think Tennessee's setting themselves up for success this year, but... Moving on here to the next topic before we get to our main one, and that is Tennessee's players showing out at the 2021 NBA Draft Combine. Keon Johnson especially. I mean, really all three of Tennessee's guys had really good kind of early, I think we're recording this on Thursday. I think I want to say Friday and Saturday there's going to be more stuff going on with I think shooting and and things like that as well. Um, But the kind of physical athleticism stuff was was on display on Wednesday and Keon Johnson set some actual records of the NBA draft combine this thing's been going on for two decades at this point I think the first one was in either 2000 or 2001 and Keon Johnson shattered the max vertical leap record at the draft combine with 48 inches I think the the previous one was if I'm doing the math correctly it it was two and a half inches that he he shattered it by so I guess that would have been what 45 and a half inches was the record obviously you know, we're not we're not looking back at guys like like what Michael Jordan Dominic Wilkins those, those types of players did I, I would imagine they had a pretty good uh max vertical leap back in the day but he did a 48 inch max vertical leap and then a 41 and a half inch standing vertical leap which he was over four inches better than the next guy on that one and the max vertical leap he was over three inches better the next guy, and that, that was Jericho Sims, who's a, a center who obviously has you know a pretty big size of height, height advantage than Keon. But my goodness, Keon did that. But Tennessee had the three of the best like six jumpers, leapers, however you want to say it, at the NBA combine. With Keon Johnson being in first place in both those, E. Pons being in third place in both of those, and then Jaden Springer, I think, being in sixth in both of those categories as well. With uh, Pons having a 36 inch standing vertical leap and a 42 and a half inch max vertical leap with Springer having a 34 and a half standing vertical and a 41 and a half max vertical and then uh Ponds actually wasn't too bad on his his lane agility he was in the I think the top 10 in his lane agility time and, and guys who did it in the shuttle run uh he was again I think in the top 10 in the three-quarter sprint you had Keon Johnson in the top five and then uh, I don't know that Tennessee and the other guys did super well in that, but. Overall and, and just some of the early stuff there with the strength and the agility, with the, as they call it, the anthro here, because I think um, Pons had some of the bigger, I think, hand length or hand width, one of the two. He, he didn't, I'm trying to find his numbers on here. He had, I think, good hand width. I don't remember which, or the body fat percentage. That's what I'm thinking of. the <laughs> Tennessee's guys had some of the lowest percentage of body fat. E. Pons had 4% body fat. Only guy lower than that was A.J. Lawson with 3.9%. And then you also had Keon Johnson with 4.4. And then um, Springer with, I think he had just a little over 5-something maybe. But it, it still, regardless, you know, not a lot of body fat on these kids. Um, and then you also had Epons with, I think, a 7-foot wingspan. Yeah, 7, almost 7-foot-1-inch seven wingspan. So also very impressive there. So gee, not really a surprise, honestly. Tennessee, we, we knew definitely Keon and, and Eve were going to show out with these these Athleticism, physical traits, but I do think it was it was nice to see and, and good to see for Jaden Springer that he actually tested pretty well because I, I was curious to see what he would do in these athleticism things and seeing him be in the top six of all players in the in the vertical leap and everything and him not having you know not bad times on the you know the shuttle run and all that stuff it, it could have been a little, little bit better but still not bad at all I think it would be interesting to see how he and Pons and and Keon all three do in the shooting drills but early returns I mean. Tennessee has, Tennessee has some physical freaks in the NBA draft this year. I and mean, that was, you know, again, not a huge surprise, but when you put it on paper and kind of see, I mean, it, it, it was pretty, to me, it was pretty eye-catching to see that Keon, not just set a record, but I mean, smashed the record for the max vertical leap. I knew he would do well. I knew Pons would do well with that. But man, I mean, it, it was one thing to know they'd do well. and Another thing to see that, wow, he, he had a 48-inch max vertical leap. I mean, that is put that in perspective that is four feet off in the air four feet that is insane that's bigger than like children like that he he could literally jump over like a, a five year old and it wouldn't even be a big deal for him like that that is just insane to me
1: yeah I think um, I think when it comes to you know like the the combine stuff um we i I don't think I mean you said it I don't I don't think anybody was expect anybody is surprised by what they saw the numbers surprising of course I mean 40 48, 48 inch verticals Yeah. You know, quick side note uh Jericho sims size to have a 44 and inch vertical is pretty scary yeah that is actually <laughs> uh, I mean it's just just scary um uh, but you know, like I, I, I watch. I, I've watched a lot of NBA lately, and you know, having seen the NBA playoffs, um, I will. I will slightly back off my strong opinion that there's no way that Eve Pons gets drafted. I still think it's a very, very slim possibility. Maybe instead of zero percent, I'll take it up to about five, but. I mean, I watch a guy like a P.J. Tucker play. Uh, now, I think the issue is I don't think that – and this, look, call it a knock if you want. I don't think that Eves has the sort of toughness that a P.J. Tucker has because P.J.'s role to the NBA is tough, was, was one of toughness. Like he had to go overseas and he had to redevelop himself. I mean, this is a guy who I'm pretty sure was like a big 12 player of the year at Texas. And it was just a tough dude who just played Rick Barnes style. Um, very Grant Williams, Williams-esque. And, but, I, but what I, I'm getting at is I'll see somebody like Eves that kind of can do maybe some of those things to where he can guard. And he has a level of athleticism that P.J. Tucker could never dream of. And I don't think it's completely far-fetched that he ends up on an NBA roster next year in some capacity at some point. Um, again, I, I think my issue with him is just mainly going to be uh, can, he, can he consistently hit open shots? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> that that would be my biggest concern and it's been a long time since tennessee's had a guy it's been two years since tennessee's had a guy who can consistently consistently create those shots so he didn't have a lot of open looks i mean the monte turner was gone december of 2019 so um i mean johnson I don't think hurt or help i mean he didn't do anything for his draft stock he's just people were just wowed by the bird uh i think Jaden springer showed a level of toughness i saw one draft that had him in the lottery most have them, uh, you know. I've seen them down to twenty nine. I've seen them around the uh, out outside the lottery in the top twenty. I think it's good for them. I mean, you, you want? I mean, you know, you. I mean, damn, you're a Tennessee guy. Like, so you love to see three guys drafted. Um, but I think it's more important that they all three find they all three end up in good places because last time I checked, they had three drafted Mm -hmm. just a couple years ago, and that didn't work out all that great for them. They got one guy who's, you know, who now with Boston hiring a new coach, there's no guarantee that Grant Williams will remain in Boston. Just Let's just be honest there. Right. Like, that was a small ball approach that they, you know, that Boston chose to use. Um, You know, Admirals bouncing up and down. Jordan Bone is more down than around but I'm pretty sure he's still around Orlando but guess what they're getting a new coach too I don't know exactly where Admiral was last maybe Oklahoma City but um, if that's where it was um, that they don't I mean I, I know he was in Washington at one point uh, Oklahoma City I think he got caught I think was it last year or this year that he, he got picked up and oh he got picked up in Orlando is what it was he got picked up Orlando just a few weeks ago, and got caught up in some COVID stuff, so he didn't get a chance. He got cut, and so uh, I mean unfortunate <laughs> situation there. But I think it's real good. It, it, it's it's good to it, it. sounds nice to have the three guys drafted, but I think it's far more important to make sure that those are those three guys are guys that can stick up there. Because what anybody that gets drafted, especially once you get outside the lottery, and in some cases in the lottery. What you realize is, oh, this is a completely different world. I think Johnson's going to be fine regardless. I kind of think this spring will be okay, especially if he ends up. I saw a mock draft that had him going to Phoenix. Um, I think it, the best case. I, I personally, I think the best case scenario is that Tennessee gets two guys drafted, and uh, you know maybe Eves makes his way into a summer league somewhere and has an opportunity to show. That some of the things that may be negatives he's had time to turn those into more positives and I think that would be huge for him because right now there's a lot of, like can he can he handle the ball like that's my biggest question uh, that will, that would be my biggest question he's got to show that and if he can show that in summer league or if he gets strapped to whatever the case may be I think I think he's just playing summer league regardless of how it happens and he's going to have an opportunity to prove what he can do. Just getting drafted in the second round gets you nothing. He gets you Juwan Smith and get drafted and up in Dallas for about 15 minutes. Even how, I remember he had a game where he had 20 in a summer league game. Didn't work out for him. It's rough up there. But to have three names that are being talked about this week, all going to your school, I think that's the big win personally. In the thing I do. I think. That, mm-hmm. I think the fact that three, the the, the five highest vertical jumps. Well, were registered by Tennessee guys that is that's the story like that's the story because that at least if nothing else maybe it's just your 15 minutes of fame type stuff but people are talking about Tennessee now maybe they're all asking why weren't they better with all these you know freak athletes but um, I, I do think that there, you know, a lot of people are looking at what's going on and they're like man maybe Tennessee is building something and we can get into that in here in just a little bit
0: yeah, no, that that's a very good point. Like you said, e- e- <laughs> there's the the idea of the the uh, no no press no press is bad press. Like they even even uh, like having I guess the the negative of hey, what, you know, why were they better? That's still press, and like you said, still being talked about. But even that, like, it's not like Tennessee was like Kentucky this past year and had a losing record and everything. And Tennessee did you know have a disappointing season by all accounts, but they still did at least you know finished top four in the SEC, made the NCAA tournament, whatever, but um, still, I, I, I do, overall, I, I absolutely agree with your point on that, and I don't know if you saw, this doesn't change, you know, probably a whole lot. I, I do agree with you. I still think the biggest thing with Pons is can he be a ball handler and can he be good at it, but Jonathan Gavoni, who you know does all this NBA draft stuff, posts a couple of videos of Pons uh, from Wednesday. Having a pretty good showing, actually, on the court, shooting shots, and attacking the basket and stuff. And, and I think in a, in a three-point drill, as they we were talking, Gina's count here. count I think he would finish like seven of nine from three. And that obviously, you know, not being covered or anything like that. But still, showing a better kind of overall shot than what I think he showed at Tennessee. And then when he was playing in kind of a, uh, looks like a four-on-four, four, or a two-on-two, two, excuse me, um, at the combine, he hit a couple of shots with the guys in his face and drove, you know, kind of, again, being a little aggressive to the basket. I, I think it'll be interesting to see if he develops more toughness, like you said, that I think he definitely does have to have. So if he gets that toughness, I, th- I think mm-hmm. then, um, again, he has a better chance of sticking. But like you said, he, he has to get that. I think it's it'll be interesting to see if he does get drafted. But like you said, it's more important than, it, you know, it's, it's great for Tennessee if he gets drafted. You can say, yeah, we get three draft picks and whatnot. But even still, you're going to have probably two guys go in the first round, which would be the first time Tennessee's had two guys in the same draft doing the first round since 19, 1977 with Bernard King, Ernie Grunfeld, So, I mean, that, and that in itself will be enough of a, a big talking point to say, Hey, look, Tennessee had two guys go in the first round. That hasn't happened in, in literally 40 years. Um, so I think that that's important enough as it is to, to do that. So getting Pond's draft would be kind of a, a nice little cherry on top. But I think honestly, you know, of fans and Rick Barnes and Tennessee and whatever would prefer that if you know, Ponds go somewhere that's going to, like you said, be a good fit for him. Be somewhere that he can be taught the things he needs to be taught to take his game to the next level and to improve his his game and to to find a roster spot where he's going to you know thrive and 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 grow. But to I, I think another talking, point, we talked about this a couple of times already about how important this draft is and just kind of how important Tennessee's draft success has been the last few years, if. Uh, both Springer and Johnson go in the first round of the draft, which I, I think they both will, Tennessee will have now had three first round draft picks in the last three drafts from 19. Let's see here. Was it 1980? 1980, yeah. 1984 through 2011, or actually I guess 1984 through 2018, technically um, Tennessee had a grand total of, I think four, Five first round draft picks? No, four first-round draft picks. So four first-round draft picks from 1984 because uh, they had one, Del Ellis was number one in 83, so going from after the 83 draft into 84 through 2018, Tennessee had four first-round draft picks. You had Tobias Harris, Marcus Hayslip, uh Ed Gray, surprisingly enough, and then Allen Houston were all first-round draft picks for Tennessee. Four guys in like a 20, what, 24-year span? Did I do that math wrong? Is it Thirty-four year span, yeah, I think a thirty-four year span. You had four guys taken in the first round, and now you have a chance to have three guys in three years taken in the first round. That's huge for Tennessee. Uh, and then again, you have a chance next year, because assuming Kennedy Chandler's one and done, then his the kind of measurables and uh, ability he has. He has a, he, again a chance to be a, a first-round draft pick. There be four guys in four years. I mean, that that's again that also doesn't mention Brandon H- Huntley Hatfield, who I we've raved about and. and Podcast, and you and I both think his ceiling is pretty high, and, and his athleticism and stuff too. He could be a first-round draft pick, uh, depending on you know what happens. So it could be five guys in four years. So I mean, what Tennessee is going to be able to boast here uh, and their draft success is going to be huge for the program and, and huge for recruiting. And Gene, I'm going to set you up here with the alley Pass. I'm talking about recruiting, is there a chance now to to talk about your, I guess your topic here? I'll kind of let you kind of steer the conversation we we'd mentioned it last week and you kind of uh, near the end of the podcast and I said I wanted to hold off because we already talked for well over an hour at that point uh so I wanted to hold off for this episode to kind of dive into it deeper and, and a little bit more you had brought up the fact that Tennessee's recruiting strategy kind of I mean kind of questioning it, 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 what is the strategy here it, are they you know are they going just after one and done's? because suddenly now they're these guys are interested in Tennessee so they can get them, so they're going to go for them regardless of fit or regardless of, you know, whatever needs, I guess you can say, on the the roster too. Are they building enough for the future? Are they getting enough guys who are going to stick around for more than, you know, two seasons or whatever? Are they addressing the right needs they need to be addressing? Or are they, like you said, kind of going after these bigger names and these talented prospects just because they can, and, and they haven't been able to in the past. And now so that they can, they're thinking, Hey, let's, let's do it. So I'll let you kind of take over here. I'll obviously chime in, um, in a little bit, but I, I want to hear your thoughts and kind of your opinion on Tennessee's recruiting strategy and kind of what you think about it. And if you agree with it, disagree with it or, or, or what?
1: Yeah it's not even necessarily that I agree or disagree. I just wonder if there's a consistent plan. Um, This is the team this year, this season, that is going to be very telling for the future of this program. Because what I look at and what I see is you now have a team that has more depth than the past two seasons. You have more good players. Um, I don't care if you only go seven or eight or whatever the number is. You have more good players than you've had in a in a while. I mean, honestly, you may have more good players than you've had in 20 years, for just being honest. Um, and But I, I look, and I look at the teams, the teams that Rick was, were, was successful with early in his Tennessee career, that two-year run where they won 57 games, I'm looking at a team where – you know, they like they had good players. Yeah, like the, their issue. I mean, like people can call them, you know, whatever they whatever they they can make whatever reference to their recruiting rankings. But those were all good basketball players that were, you know, in part developed by. They were given an. I think more than anything else, they were just given a chance to shine in Knoxville that they wouldn't have otherwise gotten. Grant Williams was nobody was knocking on Grant Williams' door. Harvard. Uh, I mean, there may be a couple of other schools that were coming out there, but Harvard, I think that's that was it. But he was a good basketball player. It's just he's he's six six, if that. He was listed at six six. Um, you know, Admiral Schofield was, you know, built more like a linebacker. I'm pretty sure he had a brother that was like a linebacker at in college or professionally. I can't remember exactly which one, but you know, like that's a guy who's not going to be in. You know, in high demand. I mean, it was Tennessee and West Virginia under Bob Huggins, and then everything else was like mid majors. Jordan Bone, similar thing. I mean, you know, Lamonte Turner. You know, like you know, Kyle Alexander. They got him from Canada. Uh, you know, so like you look at the guys that they built this thing off the backs of. Um, like the, they were good basketball players, but not necessarily, you know, what you would consider high level prospects. Now they're getting the high level prospects but those guys aren't really hanging around or maybe they're not what was expected. I mean, I think everybody expects Josiah Jordan James to be a six, six point guard. He's he, he can, he's a good ball handler and he can do a lot of good things. I like to compare him to like Draymond green and the fact that he can just fill up a stat sheet and he can create for you. He can be your, you know, your, your primary, he can be a, a ball handler and he can be a person who initiates offense for you. Um, but again, I think fans, here, five-star, and the expectations are considerably higher than what maybe they should have been. Like, to me, you've got to look at the player more than the ranking. But a lot of Tennessee people are more football fans, so all they know is, well, he's a five-star, so he's one of the top 24 to 30 players in the country. Okay, I got you. Um, where this stuff really shows is on draft night. So that's where we go to this year, where you look at Jaden Springer and you look at Keon Johnson. Look, man, they were Like, they were both – Good players for Tennessee. You know, you can make an argument they were the two best players on the team last year. Probably were. I don't know. Um, Like you could look at all those different things. Um, If they stayed three, four years, you would have seen the whole, you know, "quote unquote" five star ism of them. I think you would have seen their entire game. But they're gone in eight months. So guess what you're doing? Yeah, you're hitting the transfer portal. You're you're getting kids to reclass. You're finding kids who decommitted from a program late in the process. You know, you've got the number one point guard in the country, and you've got a you know, a, a bulldozer type kid, a big, you know, physical guard in Mayshack. And then you've got the other kid whose name will always get forgotten because he'll always be the forgotten kid of this class, which means he'll probably turn out to be the best one. Uh, I don't even remember the kid's name. The kid that just moved in, uh, whose last name none of us can pronounce. Is it,
0: yeah, DeBonge that you're talking about? Yeah,
1: him. Him. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you have got you, know, you you've replenished what you've got going on like you, you you've replenished the you know the reservoir but that team two years ago three years ago those were already good basketball players a dude is you know a dude is a kid who's going to need a lot of development Huntley Hatfield, I think, is going to need some development, although I think less because his skill set with what he's going to be asked to do is a pretty good fit. Chandler's going to have some ups and downs. That's half of that recruiting class that you brought in. Maybe Powell can kind of uh, shoulder a lot of that load for a while. I don't know. Maybe Vescovi can, can do some of that as well. But you're looking at a team that can start slow because you've got, at some, at some key places, you've got some kids who, they need some polishing. Now, I could be wrong, but again, I don't typically look at guys who are like 6'9", 6'10", um, and expect them to just be, you know, dominant players from the moment they walk on the door. Like, Anthony Davis is, is you know, notwithstanding, but... There aren't that many. I mean, Wiseman was good, but all he was asked to do was just dunk a basketball and, and block shots. Is that all the tendency he's going to ask a dude to do? Because if so, sure. Sign me up yesterday for that. Because that kid looks like he's talent. He's talented. But when that kid starts drifting out to the three-point line, who's, who's going to reel him in? You've got some good pieces. You've got some good players. You've got a chance to be good this year with the pieces that you have on this roster, with the pieces you've got back with Fulkerson and Vescovi and all the other names that we've mentioned. Victor Bailey. But this one year, is there a plan for next year? Like, are we just going to just keep on just plugging and playing? Because, I mean, maybe that's just where college basketball is going, and I guess that's probably the bigger thing. That seems to be where college basketball is going. I mean, we just talked about Texas and look at what Texas has done in recruiting. He went on and got like five uh, transfers, I think you said. Um, it was, I it was four, yeah, yeah. Wait, Kentucky, Vandy, UMass. You said there was a kid from Utah. Was that a prep school? Or was that yeah, a prep it, was K-
0: it was Kentucky, Utah, Creighton, and uh, Vandy, yeah.
1: Well, that doesn't that, that doesn't count. Trey Mitchell from UMass. Oh yeah, so he's right. five. So, you know, maybe that's just and maybe that's just what you do. But it's like, can you do that? <sighs> maybe you can. I, I don't remember exactly how many transfers Baylor had. I thought they just had the one, but maybe they had like four or five as well. But it just didn't seem like that's a good business model to be successful. That every single year, instead of recruiting the prep kids, I mean you just go out and just hit the transfer portal and bring in five guys. I don't that, I don't think that that's going to work. So I just wonder, can that, can this new model, if there is a, if there is a, a detailed plan as to what this new model is, can that be successful? Because we don't, there's been no evidence that doing anything under this five, uh, you know, this like, you know, five star just go get all the guys you want to get uh i'm pretty sure the last two years they're like what 35 and 22 or something like that
0: that's not too far off probably yeah
1: yeah i think seven uh, my last year covering tennessee i think they were 17 and 13 prior to COVID, and then uh Uh, maybe 17 17, and 14. yep yeah and then they were 18 and 9 this past year i believe i'm I'm doing this off the top of my head so i apologize if i'm wrong so 35 and 23. 35
0: 23 yeah you were very close so
1: so like, look, we can we can point to all the different things that have happened with the roster and issues and things you can't control, like Lamonte Turner going out, you know, Fulkerson this year having to deal with COVID. I don't know how much better this year Fulkerson makes it, though. I don't know. Now, I mean, maybe this year, you know, maybe going into his, you know, 17th year of eligibility, this is the year that he really just goes back to being that kid he was a couple years ago in his 15th year of eligibility. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, Maybe he's just a good player on a good team, which is what I think he's best suited as. A good player on a good team, as opposed to being, like, the face of the program. He's going to be the face because he's, like, the last remnants of, like, those years that the fans really fell in love with Tennessee basketball, like, really fell back in love with them, uh, with Grant and all those guys. He's the last piece of that. It's him and Rick. That's it. And... So maybe, you know, so maybe, like, he, he, you know, he's going to be your face. Uh, But your face has to be a good player. I think he is that. I just don't know what the definition of good is. Is he going to be your best? I don't think so. Because they're shifting to a more guard-oriented system where, you know, two years ago they didn't have a point guard. Their point guard hopped off a plane and started playing basketball in January, two years ago. Last year, they had nothing but guards. So they had to lean on those guys. And Pons didn't really take any steps forward. and So that's why I just wonder, like, is this year has to be the year where you figure out, is this model? I mean, you can't go back. I mean, that's the problem. You can't go back. But um, this year, you have to take some steps forward as far as what you're trying to accomplish with this because you're going to get the guys. You've shown that. You're about, I mean, you're you're not going to be John Calapari the past few years prior to this year on draft night. But to be able to say in, in a in a three year span, I got five guys drafted, and it's possible that one of my if I have a full season with a with the guy uh in the during the nineteen twenty season, if I have a full season with Lamonte Turner, maybe he sneaks into the second round because he's shown he showed I think he averaged like twelve points and like seven or eight assists. He's shown that he could be a playmaker. He's shown some of those things. So maybe he sneaks into your second round, and now you can sit here and puff your chest out that you've got six, perhaps seven guys drafted in a three-year span. And that's nice. That's good to see. Um, but I, I think, again, what, what looks good for the program and what the fans want aren't the same. And, like, that's where – that's where you kind of lose me. Like if I, I'm all about what I'm all about looking forward, looking ahead, like, you know, I'm all about being looking, you know, trying to get to the highest level possible. And if that's what Rick wants to do, then you can, you can, <laughs> you can flaunt those, all those draftees, those guys drafted six guys, you know, five, perhaps six guys drafted in three year span. And one of those years, COVID took, you know, through everything, you know, took everything away. Um, Although, I don't think they had anybody. they were Nobody's going to get drafted off that team. But, uh, you know, like, are the fans going to be happy with just, you know, ask Kentucky fans what it's like to just say and puff your chest out about draftees, draft picks. Because that's all they can push now. Like, they're not even winning games now. <laughs> right. So, they can't push anything else out. So, like, yeah, for the program, it looks good to say that this is what we've been able to do. But, I mean, are the fans going to be cool with, you know, like, draft picks because you know i made the joke earlier but i mean and i didn't say it because i question it but i know people will question it if we've got all these draft picks where are we at in march mm-hmm. like why, why aren't we why aren't we amongst the last you know eight to 16 teams playing every single year with all this influx of talent that he's you know allegedly bringing in the program where these guys you know are gone in eight months and it and it and it uh, again, I always lean. I mean, point to other things that you can look at. Like Tennessee fans for years made fun of Kentucky, saying you yeah, have one national championship with all these all these draft picks. Um, those teams, those Kentucky teams, were in the final eight, the final four. They may not win the championship, but they were in the last four eight, tw- you know, sixteen team standing. Tennessee's got one Sweet Sixteen appearance to show for all of this stuff that they've been able to do. So again, it just it just begs the question like if 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 there's a if there's a detailed plan, I don't need to know it, but they surely better know exactly what they're trying to accomplish with this new model. Uh, but just being able to do something because you can do it doesn't always uh, lend itself to the best results. And if for every you know five star McDonald's All American, top twenty five guy you bring in you better have a couple of those little Devontae Gaines-type guys that you can kind of bring in. Now, again, they've got to be better than Devontae Gaines and Drew Pember. they got to be better than that. they got to give you something. And those two guys didn't give you anything. you you got to – you know, if you're going to hit the graduate transfer market, you got to get something better than E.J. Anosiki. Um, and, again, look, last year was a COVID year, so I understand how it was hard to really evaluate graduate transfers – you thought that maybe I think the plan may have been to, you know, go out and get, you know, just get a guy if is what you think he is, then you could go out and get uh then you can move Fulkerson, you know, you can kinda play with the numbers and what you're gonna do with guys at certain positions. It didn't work out. That's the reality. You brought in a six seven post player who can't shoot, can't dribble, can't rebound. And it's like, wow, we can't play him. <laughs> it's not surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's a finisher and that's and that's perfectly okay he's you know he basically was eve ponds without a jump shot hmm. and except he was the post-up version whereas eve shot 47 free throws in four years now that's gonna be something again when it comes to this draft stuff that's some people are gonna look at he ain't physical you know like at that size with that with that freak athleticism you got to see more they haven't seen that yet but yeah, I, I guess I, I I wondered if I would get on a soapbox or not, and I guess I kind of did. I didn't I wasn't exactly sure, but I do think it's' just something that intrigues me so much because you're kind of in this weird place now because you've been successful, like right? but what the the success that you like, that fans like, you haven't got there yet. but now you're getting you're you're in the profile, you're in the public eye for a much different reason. Than the reason you were in the public eye a few years ago, the fans were re- the fans were happy with the reason you were in the public eye a few years ago because you were number one in the country. Now it just looks good that you're getting guys drafted and you know forty-inch verticals everywhere. You get a forty, I get a forty, we all get a forty. Um, you know, it, it, it's a different reason, but is that going to appease the fans? Because I don't think the answer is yes to that because they're just yearning to get to the get to the elite eight more than once in their entire history, and You know, Hank, at this point, they're probably just yearning for a win in March. I mean, like, that's – and that's something that I think – like, you can speak to the fan perspective far more than I can, but I just have to wonder how excited are Tennessee fans going to be? And I I just – I just posed the question to you as I lead into you taking over for a bit. Um, How excited are fans going to be on draft night knowing they really don't have much to show – for what they, I mean, for what is going to be talked about, you know, which is going to be a topic on the NBA draft coverage that night is Tennessee's, you know, these freak athletes that they've got coming out in the draft and best available, E. pawns best available, where to get picked up, all this, that, and the other. So how will you digest that coverage? Because, you know, I understand from an outside perspective, but I think you having a more insider perspective can speak more to that.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. And, and, and I think, like you said, comparing it to what Kentucky has been able to kind of say and do the last, what, five, six years or so, like it, I think it's comparable to that. But then you make it the, the good point of at least those teams. I mean, I'll, I'll double check it here, but I, th- I think at least you know, in the last five or six years, they've made, you know, Elite Eights and, and Final Fours. Let um, I me mean, pull it up a little bit. Whereas Tennessee, you know, like you said, you have that one. Sweet Sixteen appearance over the last five six years that you can point to, and that's been, I mean, I wouldn't say that's it, but that that's you know, obviously your your deepest run. You don't have it in Elite Eight. Yeah, they made uh yeah, they they've at least made it to the Elite Eight. Uh, Kentucky had did you know the last what? Let's see, they made it. I guess they're nineteen. They made it there in seventeen. I think they lost the national semifinal, national final in fifteen to fourteen. So they you know, they they've made deeper runs. They obviously had in the last couple years because they didn't make the tournament last year and. Then you know there wasn't one two years ago, but or I guess whatever last season, the two seasons ago, whatever. But uh, it would be it's going to be a mix of I I, I I maybe would probably liken it to the way Vol fans probably felt about that twenty seventeen NFL draft with the Tennessee team with seeing the the guys like Alvin Kamara, Josh Dobbs, and. Cam Sutton, Derek Barnett all get drafted and say, wow, look at this huge draft haul. Look, look at this number of guys, Fancy had go. I think, what, six guys in that 17 draft? And then you have, I mean, basically nothing to show for it. You don't have any SEC East titles. You don't have any major bowl appearances. You have, you know, a couple of 9 1 seasons, but you don't have anything, you know, Big to point to and say, "Hey, look! These guys led Tennessee to this title. These guys led Tennessee to this big win." Yes, you beat Florida. Yes, you beat Georgia twice in a, in a two-year span in 15 to 16. Um, and 16. And yes, you had obviously some big, memorable moments in those in those two years. But you also had some very disappointing losses and some honestly pretty sad moments for Tennessee fans in, in those 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 two seasons. And then it, it gets culminated with, "Yeah, look, we had these guys get drafted," but you know what ultimately did they do while at Tennessee that, you know, we get to hang our hat on other than having the Hail Mary victory, other than, you know, the comeback victory against Florida, and obviously you, you get bowl wins, but how much are you really gonna brag about a, a Outback Bowl victory or a Music City Bowl victory when it's not, you, know, you had a chance to go to at least the Sugar Bowl to kind of have a consolation prize, or a consolation, I guess, appearance after losing the SEC East, and you still go out and lose to, to Vanderbilt, and you can't even do that, so I mean, I think it would be probably a similar feeling to that of saying, yes, look, that's awesome. Two more guys, two guys in the first round, but most likely maybe three guys overall get drafted. You've had um, five, maybe six guys in the last three years get drafted into the NBA. And you do have at least a, a, a share of an SEC regular season title in that mix to kind of show for it um, with the, the Grant Admiral bone era there. But the last couple of years, again, you know, first round exit this year and it wasn't even close in that game you had the sweet 16 run um with that grant williams team that that was that was in the 2019 team that you know probably i mean probably you, you, uh, there's a make a very strong argument that you should have been able to to at least get to lead eight that year um no outright SEC title again a, a shared sec titles feel pretty impressive in the in the regular season with auburn um in 2018. But then you make it to the SEC tournament finals in a, a couple of those those years, but you never actually win the final, or never actually win the tournament. The Deepest run you have is to a Sweet 16, which has been matched by a couple other coaches the last two years, and it wasn't even your deepest run you've ever made. So, I I, I would liken it kind of to that. Um, like I said, that that 17 NFL draft wave of offense probably thought about that will be similar to how they feel here. Yeah, that's great, and you know you're very happy for the guys, and it does look good for your program to get those guys drafted. It, it's better to have them drafted than not. That's for sure. Um, but you also have that feeling of, hey man, we we didn't do enough with these guys. These guys are gonna be great, and and it was, they were, you know, obviously Springer and and Johnson were great at Tennessee in their their one year at Tennessee. But you win 18 games and you don't make a deep postseason run. It kind of and you were considered to be the favorite to win the SEC at the beginning of the season. Obviously, you know, preseason expectations are. a a different story but still you you don't even you you barely finish top four in the SEC so I think I'd like it to that and I I think also to kind of rebuttal a little bit and and talk about you know the recruiting plan you made some very good points and I I have a couple of things I want to bring up with that looking just at this this past recruiting cycle this 21 class and looking at who Tennessee was targeting I think you're spot on about them kind of going after these these big name guys because I'm looking at their targets and who they legitimately had a chance to land they obviously did land, land Kennedy, uh, Chandler, who's, I think, a one-and-done. They did land Brendan Huntley-Hatfield, who I think is a one-and-done. And they also were targeting other guys who are likely one-and-done type players, like a, a Harrison Ingram, um, like a, a Paolo chair like a Jabari Smith. Th- those are at least three other names. They, they targeted Chet Holgram, and obviously didn't think they really had a chance, but they, they were kind of in on him early a little bit uh, before he became the number one overall player in that class. Charles Bediako could be he's a one and done type of guy. I don't know that he ends up being a one and done guy, but he's a, a it was a five star guy went to, to Alabama. Um those are all guys that Tennessee were was targeting and legitimately interested in and legitimately going after. And those are all kind of one and done talent kind of caliber players. And like I said, Tennessee landed a couple of those. In this twenty two cycle, Gene, I in, in, unless we see them kind of go after some guys later on. I mean to me, the only guy that Tennessee's really in on right now that I think they they are have a have a good enough chance, where I'd say that they, they could land them. That's a one and done talent caliber player. Is Casein Wallace? Maybe Jalen hood shifinos a one and done type of guy. I don't know, but you know I don't I don't know that he's a guy that's probably in a program for two more years. But I also don't know that Tennessee's like you know in the driver's seat for him or anything like that. Could they land a guy like a Brandon Miller? Yep, yeah, they could. Could they land a guy like a Felix? Um, Akpara, maybe. So, I, I mean, there, there are a couple of guys that they, you know, still could. I, Imani Bates, I doubt it. But, I mean, Tennessee's going to at least, you know, try there. But, I mean, to me, they aren't going after as many kind of high caliber, like you said, top 25 McDonald's All-American type players in this cycle. To me, you look at some of the top names, you know, besides Case and Wallace, it's guys like B.J. Edwards, it's Quante Berry, it's uh, Deontay Green, it is a Ernest Duda Jr. who they just offered, a Dom Campbell who they just offered. A lot of the guys that they're they're really targeting, I think, have a, a really good chance of landing in this class. It's not like they're the the three stars like Admiral and Grant were, who like, like as you made a good point of pointing out, maybe they just had a they were good basketball players who had a chance to come to Tennessee, and, and you know prove themselves. I look at some of these other guys Tennessee's pursuing in this class, and I think they're, they're you know, a lot of, at least four stars and guys who have a lot of talent. I, I think they're good basketball players who fit more of that mold. They're, they're obviously more highly thought of by these recruiting services than what Grant and Admiral and Bone were. But I, I think, at least right now, looking at Tennessee's offer list and kind of targets in the 22 cycle um, in this current recruiting cycle, I just, I don't see them going after as many of those kind of high-caliber top 25, top 30 prospects. They, they obviously still are in, in some areas, and they've offered a few of them, but I don't think they have a legit chance with guys like, again, Imani Bates or Jet Howard or, or Jaden Bradley or anything like that. But they do have legit chances with guys like B.J. Edwards, Quante Berry, um, uh, Deontay Green. I think maybe Noah Clowney. I, I don't know if he's still going to come visit Tennessee or not. But you also look at like a guy like Johan Treori, who's a, a three-star that Tennessee's interested in as well. Uh, like I said, Ernest Dune Jr. is a four-star who they just offered. Dom Campbell, I think, is a is a three-star by most sources. He's not even rated by the two or seven composite, but he's a three-star in the regular two or seven sports rankings. Again, like I said, Casey Wallace and Jalen hood are the only two guys that I think Tennessee has a legitimate chance of landing who, you know, kind of fit that build. And I, I I guess. Maybe Brandon Miller. I, I I don't know a whole lot about his recruitment. If I'm going to be honest, I know he's obviously on uh, Tennessee's recruiting board, and, and he's actually he's listed as warm on Tennessee on two seven. But I mean, I don't know how much I would put into that necessarily. But uh, I guess well, he did come see. Uh, he's made unofficial visits to Tennessee. and I think he used it official recently. So maybe I'm I'm not a, a discounting Tennessee a little bit there. Maybe they do have a better chance than I thought. But even still, that they they aren't. To me, maybe in as, as quite as many kind of one-and-done prospects in this cycle as they have been in the last couple of cycles. But I also think, Gene, uh, to your point about kind of what is the plan, I also think plans across the country, unless you're a Blue Blood, unless you're a, a North Carolina or a Duke or a Kansas or a Kentucky, I think the the plans have kind of changed here in the last what, 18 months or so with the way the transfer portal has has kind of affected the game. And I, I think that you have to... To me, Tennessee is going to have to, every year from now on, unless something changes with the transfer portal or the transfer rules or something, which they are changing, but they're changing, obviously, better, you know, more for player freedom and stuff. But if they ever change, if, you know, to lessen that, then that obviously will, will alter the things here. But unless it does change over the next, you know, Five ten years or so here, I think you have to at least keep one spot, if not two spots. I I, I just think that the transfer portal is it, it changes the plans of a lot of these programs who aren't the elite of the elite who can kind of still go out and get whomever they want in in the recruiting. And even even those teams are going to save spots. We, like we just talked about, Texas brought in five guys. Kentucky's brought in transfers over the last couple of years, and they're and they're this year too. Uh, North Carolina, I want to say, has a transfer too. I, I could be wrong about that. I. I actually, I, I may be wrong about that, but the Blue Bloods aren't bringing in as, as many transfers as you look at, like, Arkansas. You look at Tennessee. You look at... Uh, we talked about it before other other podcast about all the transfers coming into the SEC. I'm going to try to go back and, and pull up that article really quickly if I can here, because I know that... Um, well, if I can find it. I thought I, maybe I deleted it, but anyway, the, 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 the transfers into the <laughs> SEC for this season is insane, and I think that to me is kind of be the biggest kind of um, change in recruiting is in, in kind of recruiting plans. And I think that's kind of shaking things up because I, I think to your point, like how many of these guys Tennessee is bringing in are one-and-done type of guys in, in in high school recruiting, but Tennessee's not really, I mean, I don't think Powell's going to be a one-and-done guy. I think maybe he's, you know, he's a, he was a freshman this past year. I guess he's still technically a freshman because of COVID, Um but I don't think he's going to be a guy that's at Tennessee one year and gone. Victor Bailey is obviously going to be at Tennessee two years, um, and he was a transfer that came in, um, I guess, what, two years ago at this point. I so mean, technically three years at Tennessee because he sat out that the first year there. But I, I, to kind of close out here and get your quick thoughts on it too, Gene, I, I think to me the the transfer portal really changes the strategy for Tennessee because they're, they're not a school that can afford to miss out on um, – the high school kids, like other programs, can't. in I guess I maybe worded that wrong. I, 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 think my whole point is, I think Tennessee's draft, uh, recruiting strategy, excuse me, is a little different for this 22 cycle, and I think the transfer portal also has altered that because it's altered that it for like. 90%, if not more, of college basketball. And I think Tennessee's having to adjust to that and say, hey, we, <laughs> we got we to gotta keep at least one, if not two, of these spots every year for a, a transfer or two. And, and obviously, you know, they'll have guys transfer off their roster and that'll open up additional spots that they didn't have initially. So I think that there is more of a plan, but I also can understand anyone who, like, you, like you've pointed out, who was kind of saying, hey, you know, are they kind of just taking these guys to be taking these guys? And also, like you said, too, can't really go back from what you've been doing the last few years because you can't go from if if the, barring a coaching change, you can't go from like recruiting these top twenty-five players and one-and-done type guys to all of a sudden saying, "No, nah, we're not going to do that" because fans have well, fans have gotten used to it at this point. They weren't used to it a couple years ago when you were landing. You know, when you got to a side, Jordan James. I was like, "Oh, wow, that's a look at things. They get a five-star. To look at that. That's really cool." now, fast forward a couple more recruiting cycles and Vol fans are like, yeah, we expect Tennessee to go get at least one five-star per recruiting cycle at this point, so you can't go back on it, but I do think it has altered um, the, the transfer portal has kind of altered Tennessee's strategy, and like I said the strategy of probably like 90% of college basketball at this point, too.
1: Oh, no doubt. And and, and again, I do think, I think my biggest, look, maybe call concern, whatever you want to call it, like, say Say they get B.J. Edwards next year and Quan'te Berry, and they go find a Ford, uh, but they lose John Fulkerson, they lose Victor Bailey, they lose Brandon Huntley Hatfield, they lose Kennedy Chandler. Um, do you think that's a good team?
0: Uh, no. So that's <laughs> so, honest, that, so no. that's
1: where, so that's more of where I'm getting at. Like you you've ascended to a certain level of excellence, and. And so, like when I talk about the recruiting plan, my, my, I mean, I guess if you if you want to call it a concern is, you know, when you win 57 games in two years, you've ascended to that level. If you truly are the bat, the quote unquote basketball school that I always see pe- people talking about, Tennessee is now. And look, you can you can puff your chest out about all the wins you had, the number one ranking, and now you can add the draft picks to that stuff, the first round draft picks, at least one lottery pick. Uh, I mean, who knows what happens with Jaden Springer? Maybe he sneaks into the back end of the lottery. You know, you can puff your chest out, but that team won 18 games, and we can point to every single reason under the sun as to why that that happened. And I won't argue with you on a single thing because I understand all the John Fulkerson stuff. I understand all this stuff way too much. But so if this so, say this team goes, this team this year goes, because look, man we've talked about it. You talked about it earlier in the podcast. This schedule is tough. That's a team that could go to what? say they go 24 and 11 this year, make it to the second round of the NCAA tournament. And all those names I mentioned leave and you replace them with Quante Berry, BJ Edwards, and a couple of the guys, uh, you know, maybe they sneak out and get sneaking at Wallace. You know, maybe they get him out. Uh you go get like three of those guys, and you bring in another transfer from a Power Five, uh, a Ford transfer. That's an okay team at best. Not to mention that team, you know, this team would have just gone 24 and 11, which is nice. It's a nice record. You know, it's a tough schedule. It's a nice record. And you've probably got some good wins in there, maybe a couple bad losses because, it, look, it is a team that's going to take a while to mesh. And so, when I like one of the things I'm looking at is man, like, there is nothing better than having a team. Like, for all the things that people laud, uh, lauded about that 2018 2019 team that ascended number one in the country, the number one thing that uh, that was the biggest thing of theirs was the chemistry that they had, yeah. and, and so. What I'm looking at there is like you can't create that chemistry in four months. You can't right. in an off yep. season. Yeah, those so are guys bring, that
0: played together for for a couple of seasons before they before that 2018-19
1: year. So you bring in a guy, you bring in guys, and they're in and out in eight months. And look, maybe perhaps nobody does a better job of this than John Calipari. And look, I'm not out here lotting this because it's a Kentucky thing or whatever. I'm lotting it because like look, Tennessee's going to have to figure that stuff out in a way that Kalapari and Coach K did. Like if you're going to you know, if you're going to flip your roster, like those summer months become crucial. Those kids have to live together essentially. Because that's tough to recreate. Like, can you have the sort of chemistry that is necessary? to be successful like when yeah you have talent that's obviously not an issue but guess what everybody that you just brought into your program feels that they're the best player on your roster and if they don't feel that way they're probably not a good fit on your roster just telling you that's just the reality like when the when the 11th or 12th man on your roster thinks he's the best you've got a really good team Because that 11th or 12th man is going to push himself towards being the best. But that 11th or 12th man also understands, I'm just waiting my turn. I'm going to keep pushing the other guys in practice until then. So that therefore you've got to have, you know, that guy has to have a a good relationship with everybody else. That's when you have chemistry. That's when all those guys are out there, you know, always pulling in the right direction to where they're pulling like that off season before the 18-19 season. When Admiral was telling, you know, was talking about how he got in the gym, and then all of a sudden he looked up and here was another guy in the gym with him. He looks up, there's another guy in the gym with him. All of a sudden, everybody's in the gym together. That's how you develop that chemistry because you're cutting up, you're joking, you're laughing about whatever, ha, ha 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 ha, your mama, your mama, whatever the case may be. Like, that's a camaraderie and a kinship that, that can't just be, you know, you can't just create that because it because you're friends. I mean, you can't just create that because y'all on the same team, y'all wear the same jersey. Because when you're bringing in all these guys who are one and done, they're like, yo, I got to get these. I'm going to go out here. I'm going to compete every night. And then I'm out of here. So they may not have, they may not be pulling in the same direction as, you know, a, a fourth, you know, a, a third year junior or something like that. And I'm not, I'm not out here trying to allude to any sort of, Negative chemistry on last year's team. I can't speak on that. I don't think it existed. But, look, man, when you're there and you walk in there and you are a potential lottery pick, you're not, I mean, you don't have the same goals as John Fulkerson. That's not, that's just the the truth. It's not a knock. Yeah, Yeah, it's not a knock. It's just the truth. John Fulkerson is like, man, I will die in this Tennessee jersey. If they'll let me come back in the 22-23 season, I am here. Cause that dude loves Tennessee and you know, like look, Grant Williams was, I heard t- Grant Williams was, he was in Knoxville two weeks ago, right? For the, whatchamacallit for the baseball games.
0: Yeah. He was in for the super regional.
1: Yeah. So like that's, yeah. So those are the types of guys that tennis, that Tennessee fans want the, the Tennessee players to be, but it, it's going to be really hard for some of these other guys to kind of come in and have that sort of mentality, to where they go out and they're just constantly that. Baylor, those guys have been around for a couple of years. Virginia, those guys have been around for a couple of years. Uh, Villanova, you know, keep naming them. And look, we're going into a different era of college basketball where, you know, the the, the guys you know don't just hang around for two, three, four years. That's just a change. That's just a change in college basketball in general. But, you know, like, so maybe it's who can do it better than the others. But I just have to question at this point, like, man, we're we're not doing an NCAA basketball podcast. We're doing a Tennessee podcast. I can only speak of what I'm talking about, what I see in Knoxville. And so I just have to question, you know, like, yeah, it's nice that, you know, they're trying to mix up three stars, the four stars, and the five stars, but if you're going out there getting a bunch of freshmen next year um, and, and, yeah, if you're going out there getting three and four-star freshmen, and, look, I think B.J. Edwards is under, undervalued. I think Quante Berry is undervalued. I've seen those two play. Those two play very well together. I don't know how much actually Springer and Johnson have played together, but I know how much that Berry and Springer have played together. They, they may end up on the team this year. They may end up in the same high school this year. Who knows? I don't know, stay tuned, but, um, but like what I see there is, you know, I see two guys who have a really good chemistry. So I know that that would work, but I just have, I just have to question, man, Is are you going to feel comfortable going out there with that sort of backcourt? I mean, look, you still have some other good pieces, but at, at some point, uh, At some point, like, we're going to bring in these sorts of players. People are going to start asking for the sorts of results that you get when you get these sorts of players. I understand that winning with Fox, we've had, we've talked numerous times on numerous podcasts about the struggles and like how hard it is to win a national championship with freshmen as your best players. I get that. There are fans who don't get that. I understand that when. Jamie Springer and Keon Johnson are out or you know, you know, in and out in eight months um, I understand that you know what look you didn't have a ton of time to develop those guys you didn't and, and so you can't like the thing that you push the most in terms of your recruiting is your ability to develop guys and so I, like I said I understand how difficult that becomes when you can't really push the main thing that it, that has become your, your rallying cry I get that. There are fans who don't. So when I question it, it's because I'm looking at it from the perspective of how long how long is it before the, you know people start asking? You're bringing us all these good players, but we don't see anything to go along with it. And now going into next year, maybe you do, maybe you don't get all these great players. But now you're jumping into the transfer portal to try to get a whole bunch of you know to clean up a bunch of stuff. You got lucky that John Fulkerson's coming back. You got lucky with that one. Because that's a good player who can really kind of, yeah, you know, he can kind of turn things over to Josiah Jordan James after this year or next year, whenever they, whenever Fulkerson finally decides he's going to be done with Tennessee. <laughs> I don't know. But, like, you got lucky with that. Because if, if you're going to roll out there with, uh, you know, uh a fringe... You know, I guess he is a five-star and a dude, but a guy who, you know, badly needs development. Badly needs it. If you're going to roll out there with him and Euros Plastic and Walk-Ons, <laughs> friends, you're not going very far. So you got lucky with that one. You got lucky that Huntley Hatfield's back... I mean, you know, reclassified. Who so knows? Maybe they're not done. I don't know. I mean, I, there, there were rumors about Tampa, Uh mm-hmm. I guess those seem to have maybe kind of subsided like they kind of gone away because I haven't heard anything lately about it but you know like I, I'm looking at teams now where it's like look this plug and play it ain't always gonna work and you know like look I, I talk about Kentucky because they're right there and if this is this is kind of the model that you're starting to emulate in some in some ways, Look, they they tried to the plug and play this year. 11 and 17 or whatever they were, that didn't work. <laughs> so I'm like, be careful with it. Like, I understand everybody's excitement. I completely understand. I'm not trying to run on parades. But at the same time, I'm like, I hope they know what they're doing. Because they got back on the national radar with the team of guys who were like, you know, the like who, you know, people treated like Rudy. And... <laughs> They got back on the radar because of that stuff. And now, here we are at a place where you're not lovable. You're not the lovable underdogs anymore. There's expectations around you. Like, even that year that they were number one in the country, it was more, you know, people were still like oohing and on, like patting them on the head like gold retrievers. And I'm like, no, they're a really good team. Ooh, look at them. Ooh, The Ooh, ner- the best player is a nerd. Ooh, Admiral. Ooh, peanut butter. Like it's all these other things that have very little to do with actual basketball. So much of that from what I saw. And I was, I was in the middle of that. I covered that team. The thing I'm pretty sure you were, you covered that team. Mm -hmm. And it was about the basketball, but it was about peanut butter and jelly. It was about the workout programs. It was about every, like it it was all this other stuff. They got to the, they got to Lexington Kentucky game and Kentucky is still scoring points in that game. Tyler Hero is still getting. I mean, the guys that they played that game, Reed Travis, and all those guys. And then they got yeah, they got their, you know, they got their retribution in Knoxville, and then they got their retribution in Nashville. And at some point, it's like I it's like I talked about with the players. Why don't why don't we quit talking about them like they're a good story and just realize that this is a really good team. Why do we have to keep talking about Grant Williams and how he was a blah, blah 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 recruit and just realize this kid's a really good basketball player? And see now they're not that. So now, like now, you're at a point where people are going to start asking. When you're preseason top fifteen year in and year out, people are going to, going to start asking questions about you, and yep. you better have the answer.
0: Yeah, no, I mean. Yeah. I don't think you made any bad points, honestly. I mean, I, I think I'll be I'll be interested to hear if our, our listeners have any thoughts on this and want to share it with us on online because I, I think it's we could keep talking about it. But we've already talked. Yeah. This is, this will be one of our longest longest episodes we've ever done. I think at this point, but honestly, like I, I don't think you made any bad points, and and I I absolutely get what you're saying. Like you said, if you take off a lot of the guys from this year's roster and look at what next year has, any, any barring bringing in. A couple more transfers. Like you're, you're not gonna have. You're gonna be playing a lot of young guys next year in key roles again, like you did this past season, or I guess technically two years ago, in um, the the Bowden and, and Turner team, where Turner ended up leaving mid or getting hurt mid season, I guess retiring. I guess mid season. I, I don't really know how else to, to word that. But you I mean, make you make good points. That 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 the reason why those the 2018-19 team was like you said. Work so well is because they had chemistry. They they'd played together, uh, all all of those guys at least for two straight seasons, and had the chemistry of knowing you know it kind of like a, a some of those perf- no NBA teams rosters where they they played each other for years, in some cases obviously you know not all the cases but you think of like the Spurs of, of yesteryear yeah. with the roster that very rarely changed with the Parker Ginobili Duncan and Robinson uh, years like that and and those guys who played together for a long time. Obviously not to that same degree with Tennessee because they're only there for a couple years, but still, like they they play together for longer than a lot of college basketball teams play together, um, at, in the high level, uh, you know, with with in the the power conferences, and you're not going to have that this year, you're not going to have that next year, most likely either. So that that's I mean, like you said, it's a very good point. Tennessee's going to have to kind of change how the off-season development and stuff goes, and it's going to be better this year. They're they're already you know last year they couldn't oh, be yeah. together no in job. person because of COVID. No and job. this year we've already seen like, you know, they're actually being together in person, which is different than last year. So there's a lot more points I could make. A lot more points you could make, I'm sure, too, Gene. And like I said, I, I want to hear from our listeners and what their thoughts are on this. But I think this is where we got to go ahead and close up shop because we've talked for a long time at this point. So go ahead and end the podcast episode here. Appreciate all of you listening along and tuning in for this very long episode. I uh, Hope you all enjoyed it. If you have any thoughts on anything we've talked about, with Tennessee and Texas, with the NBA Draft Combine and Tennessee's players there, or anything with this recruiting strategy and kind of the roster construction for Tennessee, uh, please let us know at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter, Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. Signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode.